Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail them to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We are in our study of 1 Peter. That is the first epistle general of Peter. And we've gotten into chapter 4, down through verse 11. In 1 Peter chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 10, we read about the privileges of the Christian. It is in the portion of Scripture that we just concluded in the last session, 1 Peter 2.11 through 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, that we see the duties of a Christian. In this passage of Scripture, Peter gave us wise counsel by telling us how to behave in the duties of life. Some see life as a game. Some see life as a uh, trial. Some see life as some sort of a puzzle. Ever how you might see life, let it be known that life is from God and it is not a puzzle nor a game, nor is it something of tribulation. Life is living. Life is being a human being in this earth, this terrestrial plane called earth. Up to this point in First Peter, he's been exhorting the Christians to walk worthy of their new calling. In this portion from chapter 2 verse 11 forward, he urges Christians to glorify God before an ungodly and persecuting world. A hothouse religion is of very little worth to anyone, including the person who possesses it, meaning that if you are not able to live your Christian life in the world at large, then what good is your understanding of God and who he is through Jesus Christ? It's good for us to be compelled to justify our faith before our peers. Peter has a simple plan here. Anyone can follow the plan. An earnest seeker can find the way that Peter commends. His first suggestion is that we remember that we're pilgrims. We're not settled here, but we're on our way to that eternal city. It's important that we keep that in mind, otherwise... We'll be tying up our lives to try to um, be attached to things that will fall apart. For the Christian who has followed Peter's plan, all is well. That Christian would have invested time and thought and money in the pursuit of Christ's plan for his life, not his own plan, not the plan of some family member or someone that he's seen on television or the other media. This Christian who follows Christ finds his life sweeter as the years go by. 
and the end of his life will be the very best of all. The greatest satisfaction that can come to a Christian is to realize that he is pleasing his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the power of the Lord, live for Christ in all phases of your life. Don't shut Christ out even for the most insignificant reason or for the most insignificant part of your life. It's not going to be easy because Satan will always be attempting to trap you and to try you and to cause trouble for you. He will use every weapon that he has at his disposal, and he has many. But Christ has already won the victory. Christ won the victory over death and hell, the grave, and Satan himself. This victory of Christ can be ours if we simply ask for it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. And I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I would uh, encourage you to look there at verse 57. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is already ours, and that's for us to know. And it's for us to believe, and for us to accept, and for us to enjoy. All of it is ours. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ. So, let's face it, Christians are not at home in this world. We're away from home. As it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, uh, we're strangers and pilgrims. And our conversation, our life, our citizenship is not of this world, but it's of heaven, as we find in Philippians 3.20. We are in the world, but we should not be of the world, John told us in John 17, verse 11, and repeated that in verse 14 as well. Well, Peter makes an earnest appeal. He calls for a purity of our lives. Christians are warned against all the fleshly appetites, for they're like an infection in our blood. If we once let them have a place in our lives, they will contaminate our souls. They'll pollute our characters. Worse than any disease harms our bodies. There's no health, no strength, no womanhood, no manhood left in us. And that's all because of sin. The soul may be dragged down to hell or lifted up to heaven. The body is the main channel through which debasing influences affect the soul. A Christian's life is to be true to the presence of those who are not yet Christian. This will disarm the opposition. It will glorify God. Peter says there in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beg you, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so it is important that we live as Christ would have us to live. You know, there is a very great power in influence. We can influence others for good 
or for bad, for greatness or for baseness. So the question is, uh, what influence are you having by what you say and what you do? According to uh, this portion um, in verse 12, we should have our lifestyle, our daily life, our behavior, to be honest among the Gentiles. This is the people who are around us. We need to influence them for the better by being godly around them. Folks in this day and age don't seem to spend much time reading religious literature, but they do read people. They read the professions of Christians. It may seem sort of silly to say it, but it's not. More people are won to Christ by the true Christian living the true Christian life, by the believer being a believer, than by any other means. If it's true that you are uh, what you are speaks more loudly than what you say, then it's equally true that your deeds speak so loudly that I cannot help but believe what you say. So if you're a Christian, you need to act as a Christian. Now, as I said, uh, the way that a Christian is to live is found here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 11. This seemed to be the all-important topic in Peter's mind as he was writing this letter. And uh, he was writing it to Christians who were going to be the only Bible that people would know or read in their word, in their world, I should say, uh, during their days. I've seen this happen. I've been on foreign fields where I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen at home here in our region as well that people would ignore the reading of Scripture, but would be drawn to a Christian who lives a life as they should for Jesus Christ. Now, these Christians at the time of Peter were accused of horrible crimes. They were called atheists because they only had one God, and they denied the heathen gods. They were unpatriotic, or so-called unpatriotic, because the official religion was heathenism. They had many gods that they were supposed to worship. To reject the state religion was considered an outrage against the government. So Christians would often be obliged to depart from social customs that uh, would make them look as if they were some sort of criminal. The answer to all of these charges and everything that they were castigated about would be in the superior moral life of every Christian. They had to have a life that was above reproach. Is it any different in this day and age? Can you live your life the way you want to if you don't want to live as a Christian and you are a Christian? Can you live that way and have a positive influence on anyone? No. No, you must live beyond reproach. In these days, we're sometimes subjected to severe tests 
There are lots of things that maybe your companions do in business and recreation. And you as a Christian, you just can't do it. Your action will be misunderstood or misrepresented. You'll be considered a holy Joe, a wet blanket, a narrow-minded individual, a killjoy. Um, Who knows what you'll be called. But the best way to meet the criticism is not to assume an air of superiority or the holier-than-thou attitude that some people have. So don't regard yourself as a martyr, but accept the position of a Christian with a smile and try to be helpful to those who are finding fault with you. If you haven't noticed it, nothing cools down fiery opposition like a gentle retort that is filled with love. Maybe it's a, uh, a laugh of love, but nonetheless, we have to be very careful. And so, as we look here at verse 16 of chapter 2, we see, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Now, this is a story of the Russian Revolution that's found in the book, What the Bible is All About. And it goes like this. After the Tsar had abdicated, a stout old woman was seen walking leisurely down the middle of one of the busiest streets in St. Petersburg. And uh, there was so much confusion in traffic, she was about to be hit. A policeman pointed out to her that there was a walk for pedestrians and that the street was for wagons, automobiles, and horsemen. But she was not to be convinced. I'm going to walk just where I like, she said. We've got liberty now. Well, when we assert ourselves to do as we like, we're as thoughtless and foolish as that old woman was. Freedom is not a question of doing what we like. It's a question of doing as we should. In verse 17... We see that we should honor all men. We need to show respect for others. We need to love the brotherhood. Every social problem can be solved if we love one another. We're to fear God. We're to have that awesome reverence for God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're to honor the king, it says in verse 17. That means we're to show respect for those who govern us. One of the most convincing and powerful demonstrations that a Christian can give uh, is that he has a newborn life with the enduring of wrong and injustice uh, patiently. And we find that in verses 19 and 20. That's when we show forth the grace of God. That's what Christ did while he was on earth, submitting to his crucifixion and his death. And this is what his followers are to do as we follow in his steps. And this is where, uh, what would Jesus do, and in his steps, the book, uh, came about from this very passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps. Patience in undeserved punishment is one way of testifying for Christ. And so it's important 
that we be patient as we receive undeserved punishment from the crowds, from individuals, even from our family or friends. Such suffering by Christians, if it's from injustice, without retaliation or defense, is a reflection of the vicarious atonement of Christ. We see that in verse 24 of chapter 2, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And so we see where Christ has suffered for us. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Matthew nineteen twenty-six. We are to suffer patiently because patience is noble. And the reason it's noble is because it's Christ-like, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Peter points to the example of his Master, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The secret of patience is always found in divine grace, as James teaches us in James 1, verses 3 and 4. Now on to verse 21 of First Peter chapter 2. Christ also suffered for us. You know, we have a number of soldiers, sailors, airmen, coast guards, uh, folks, national guardsmen, who have been wounded in various skirmishes, battles, wars. And one thing that has been said often is, thank you for your service. But when we think of Christ, even as we might think of a soldier being injured in a battle, Christ himself gave himself for us. He was suffering for us, just as a soldier's wounded for you. He took your place, or she took your place, by representing your nation in some sort of conflict. Well, far more than that, Christ became flesh. He was very God, and he became very man, so he was all man and all God. And he suffered for us because of his love for us, And then his suffering left an example for us that we might follow in his steps. And this is what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He said, The remedy for your sins and mine is found in the substitutionary suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ and in this only. But if I say of a certain ointment that it heals, I do not deny that you need a bandage with which to apply it to the wound. Faith is the linen which binds the plaster of Christ's reconciliation to the sore of my sin. The linen does not heal. That is the work of the ointment. So faith does not heal. That is the work of the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
And so Spurgeon then helps us in understanding this portion of First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. As we study First Peter, we find in chapters 2 and 3 instructions for various relationships of our lives. And hopefully, in our next session, we'll go into some detail there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, about those personal instructions. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumpville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.